0: And please welcome, who knows what? Hey, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is I, Christopher Rausch, your No Excuses Coach, back here with another live episode of The Raw and Scripted Show, where I help you guys overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and you are at your place where I rock your mindset, create some thought-provoking ideas and questions for you to walk away with and consider in your own life, to grow your confidence, and to have a super kick-ass, unstoppable life. Thank you guys for joining us. Whether you're live or here on the replay, whether you're here on the video cast or on the podcast, appreciate you guys being here as always chime in on the comment section. Let us know what kind of questions you have, what kind of conversation enhancements you have to what's going on here. Engage with us. This is a conversation between me and my guest and you guys. We're sitting in a bar, we're sitting in a coffee shop and we're just having a great conversation designed to inspire you guys each and every week so that you walk away and you apply some strategies every single week. And just think about that 52 weeks later, how many strategies do you apply and how does your life move? How does things change astronomically, baby, because I'm sitting here as a former seventh grade homeless dropout who lived in the streets in the backseat of a station wagon with 18 cats and two dogs. Ladies and gentlemen, I sit before you today, a master's degree, beautiful career, an amazing life because I applied strategies consistently week after week after week after day after day after day through the challenging times, through the great times to be sitting in front of you today, hosting this podcast and having this conversation with you guys. So thank you guys for being here. I appreciate you guys. And as always, we're going to do our little commercial here for the amazing organization that I support, help heal humanity, help heal Go check it out. As you guys know, if you've been following the show for any length of time, I'm on the board of directors and I'm inspired to invite you guys to come help us with this organization. It is truly a phenomenal organization. And and I know a lot of people say that, but, uh, me knowing the founder and the CEO of the organization, um, truly inspirational woman, Serena Buffalino. She's been here on the show a couple of times. We've done some special lives about things going on with the campaigns that we're working on. And, uh, most recently Serena and her team just rode us Somewhere over a hundred miles up in Canada, uh, raising money to for our our Haiti uh, school relief fund. So as you guys know, if you've been haven't been living under a rock, the stuff over in Haiti has been absolutely heart crushing. The gangs, the violence, uh, the political unrest, everything else that's going on over there uh, is truly just heartbreaking. And help heal humanity is still throughout all of this, still sending kids to school. And more importantly, we're trying to feed these kids and we need your help. You know, sending them to school is one thing, paying for books and their uniforms and everything else. But you know, these kids can't focus and concentrate in school if they're hungry. And the food insecurity going on in the country and, and going on in many countries around the world, if you wanna just be honest about it, um, is mind blowing. So your donations, whatever possibly it can be, when you think about all the stuff that you spend money frivolously on, you know, how many times you go to Starbucks and everything else during a week. And I'm not saying to cut that back, What I'm saying is that think about what's going on in the rest of the planet, how we can all collectively pitch in five bucks, ten bucks, a hundred bucks, five hundred bucks, whatever it is that you have. And then we can change the lives of these people that are across the globe and thinking that nobody cares and believes in them. So that's why I'm a part of the organization. I've been here for a couple of years and nobody takes a paycheck. We're all volunteers. We all pour our heart and energy, uh, not only into the Haiti campaigns, but the the homeless situation up in Hamilton, Ontario. We're doing programs here in Los Angeles, California, where I'm from. Um, And together we can all make this world a better place. And I know there's a lot of chaos and I know there's a lot of uncertainty and people are holding tight to their money right now. But if you can, whatever you can do, please go to helphealhumanity.org and uh and do what you can if you would like to be on the board of directors we've got a couple of open positions and if you're looking to volunteer if you have ideas for fundraising please go check us out and your her heart feels called to it if you know that through this show I've inspired you to think differently and I've made some changes in your life. Please do me a solid and uh, consider donating. Send me a screenshot. What did you do? And depending on what you donate, I might uh, donate some of my coaching to you. So not only you get the value from here being on the show, you get to donate a tax deductible uh, donation and plus you might get some extra coaching from me depending on how that works out. So thank you guys for indulging me every single week in that conversation because it truly is a remarkable organization. And now more than ever, we all need to do what we can to help heal humanity. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And tonight's episode is is brought to you by Ron and scripted by Christopher Now, um, is actually a crazy episode uh, we were in, originally intending to have somebody else on the show uh, but due to a scheduling conflict they weren't able to make it but this, this genuine guest who's gonna be on the show next week uh, was able to provide me a list of amazing speakers authors uh, and entertainment personalities who he said would be a dynamic addition to the show which thank you Bob for that and uh, one of those particular guests uh, I was looking through the list and I noticed that he was uh, I think somewhere in there the word controversial was was brought up and as you guys know he on Ron and scripted. I'm not afraid of any type of topic conversation. We all keep our minds and our and our perspectives open on all different things going on here. We're not one-sided. And either way, we're all about having the conversation and opening our minds to seeing what other perspectives and expectations are out there so that we can all learn and grow together instead of this divisiveness stuff that's going on. And tonight's guest is Randy Gage, and he's a, a published author, an amazing speaker, uh, and has his own YouTube channel, Prosperity TV. And he is just out there every single day bringing value to his listeners and his followers. And I'm excited to welcome him Here on the Ron and Scripted Show, Mr. Randy Gage. What's going on, brother? Welcome to the Ron
1: and Scripted Show. Christopher, great to be on with you.
0: Yeah, man. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Where where are you calling in from today? I know, I think you're on the East Coast now.
1: Yeah, Miami. Miami.
0: You used to be in San Diego, right?
1: Yeah. I keep, you know, I like to kind of be a citizen of the world. So I have different places. So, but in the States, it was always San Diego and uh, Miami. Oh,
0: nice, nice. I'm actually just about 45 minutes north of San Diego and Riverside. Yeah. So when I saw, when I saw, when I, I think I saw your, your LinkedIn or something like that, it said, it said you were in San Diego. I'm like, oh, that'll be cool. We'll be on the same
1: state. Yeah. So when you say 45 minutes north, you mean if I drive at 4 a.m.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, I'm, no, I'm said, to it it's
1: four hours and 45 minutes.
0: <laughs> Sometimes we have friends that live in um, Carlsbad. And so we go down there probably about every three or four months. And yeah, it's like, okay, if we want to get there at two, we got to leave at 11 just to make sure in case any of those damn freeways are all still jacked up because everybody's out living their life and being busy now.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So thank you for being here, brother. I appreciate this. And um, one of the questions I've been asking a lot of my guests recently is, obviously the pandemic has been a, a high topic and conversation over the last couple of years. And it's been interesting to ask this question of people to see, uh, first and foremost, what have you personally learned about yourself during this time, this time of reflection and time of isolation and everything else that's going on? What have you learned about yourself? And what have you learned about, the population overall, because I know there's a lot of different um, energies and, and factions and, 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 and groups and all that stuff going on. So personally, what have you learned about yourself during this time? And then what have you learned about society as a whole?
1: I think what I really learned about myself was that this social anxiety disorder that I had for most of my life that I thought I was cured of, uh, I wasn't cured. Because when COVID happened, I mean, the real, you know, 2020, April, everything getting locked down, everybody going into quarantine, that wasn't that different for me. I'm kind of a monk leading a monastic existence anyway, because I'm a loner. Um, But I would still, I'd go to the gym once a day, so I'm going to meet people there. And I'm going to play softball once a week and practice once a week, so I'd meet people there. COVID took that away. So I was just in my house all the time. And then when things started to open up again, I didn't open up. I was just a recluse. And I realized, god, I'm just I'm turning down every chance to go to a movie, every chance to go to a dinner, I'm making bullshit excuses about my work that and really I'm just sitting at home being fearful. And I've got to force myself back into that uncomfortable uncomfort zone and get out there and circulate because, you know, it's not healthy. I, I, I love the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be meditating, right? I'm happy to spend a morning reading a great book, working on self-development and whatever, but I also recognize, no, I have to do the other stuff too. Um, as far as society, what did I learn new about society I guess I learned how really, how dangerous a situation we have become in terms of relying on our governments to take care of us and not recognizing that the governments are doing a terrible job of taking care of us. And I would lean more libertarian slant, right? I want less government, more personal liberty, more personal freedom. But I'm not one of these people who say privatize all the roads and the hospitals and the schools and everything and, you know, let everybody be. No, I think there's a role for government. I love it for certain things. And I think COVID just exposed our society for, I mean, if we look back at how COVID was handled, I mean, there were so many missteps, whether it's masks or vaccines or lockdowns or whatever. And uh, that was really enlightening to me to realize, hey, I thought, you know, we had made a lot more progress than that, but we didn't. And if we look at the things we count on government for, you know, running the healthcare system, running the financial system, protecting us from military aggression, they're failing on every count. <laughs> so I think we have to be a little more cognizant of, you know, taking care of our loved ones and recognizing the limitations of government and society as a whole.
0: Mm. I love both those answers. And I, when you, what, what you were talking about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to touch on both of them, but I want to go back to the first answer and talk about the social anxiety and everything. And thank you for, for that, that vulnerability. I too, you know, I went from literally in March of, or in, uh, let's see, November of 2019, I ended my 26 year corporate career. I left work on November 7th, 2019, and I didn't go back. And I was just like, okay, I'm done. Um, it was a mutual parting of the ways and I said okay I'm going to do my speaking and my coaching and my shows and my book and everything else I'm going to do it full time and I was super excited and I kind of had to go through an identity crash because my I know I didn't realize how much of my identity and my ego were really wrapped up in my career that I built I was a director of operations I'd been with the company for 26 years you know, all the, all the perks and bells and whistles and everything else. So I went through a bit of an identity reevaluation during that time. And then I was like, okay, I got my heart set. And it was probably about the end of February. I'm like, okay, yes, I'm going to do this. Cause I could have went back to work easily. Probably got a VP job somewhere um, with my resume and everything. I was like, ah, I don't want to do it. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. And I talked to my wife. She says, I support you hundred percent. And then like you said, March 20th, boom. And what was interesting for me is that, you know, before that November end date, I spent probably 98% of my time outside the house. Like, literally, I'd be gone at three o'clock in the morning. I'd get home seven, eight o'clock at night, see my son when he was a baby, um, you know, do some more work, go to sleep, get back up, do the whole thing over again. So then the lockdown happens. My son uh, at the time, I think was three. And my mother-in-law was visiting out here from Chicago and she was supposed to go back March 16th or something like that. And we started hearing this thing about this pandemic and this, you know, and she was, you know, 79 years old at the time. And we were like, all right. And so my wife and her talked and my wife talked to me and she's like, well, let's just keep her here for a couple more weeks. Let's make sure she's safe. We don't want to send her back and have her get you know contaminated or whatever. And then that lasted another 18 months.
1: <laughs> so
0: I went from being outside and doing all that stuff all the time to being in-house with all these other people in the house. And it was crazy. But to your point, I started realizing I couldn't go to the gym anymore, wasn't having these conversations at work, meetings at work anymore. I was here in my studio, which I have a beautiful studio, and I started realizing like for me to go outside felt uncomfortable. So what I had to start doing, Randy, is I started having to challenge myself during the week to go out and at least take my son to the park or go to the beach or you know be outside and around people because I started feeling like, okay, I don't want to go outside anymore. And I wasn't, I was afraid of anything. I was just so used to it. And even still to this day, every once in a while, I still have that feeling like social anxiety. I went and uh, did a speaking uh, engagement up in um, Chicago in June. No, I'm sorry, March. I went to Italy in June. Um, and it was crazy for me to get out and be at an airport and sitting there. And I wasn't afraid of COVID or anything like that. It was just that social anxiety. So I'm glad you mentioned that. But one thing I want to touch on that you mentioned was the comfort zone. And so what did you do to start reframing your perspective and your expectations about that comfort zone to get back out there and do things? What kind of recommendations would you have for our viewers and our listeners tonight, if they're starting to feel some of that social anxiety or they're just, they're so set in their comfort ways that they don't, they know they want to go out there and do more with their life, but they're just afraid of taking those first few steps.
1: Yeah. So in my case, the COVID and the lack, cause I've been a professional speaker since 91, I've spoken to more than 2 million people in more than 50, some countries. I think uh, January will be Morocco. That'll be country number 53 that I've done training in. And um, I love that part. I hate the travel part, right? Mm -hmm. I love being on stage part. And so people get misconceptions because they think, well, he must be this outgoing, extroverted guy. He (laughs) speaks in the stadiums with 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people. And he's not even nervous. And I'm never nervous on stage, but if if you invite me to a dinner party with four people, I don't know, my poems are sweaty. Right? And right. Let, me not, let me cancel that. Let me not affirm that. In the past, if you would have invited me to a dinner with four people, my poems would get sweaty. So for two years, I didn't get on a plane and I've been whining for three, four years now. I'm so tired of this travel. I'm going to come back. I'm just going to write more books. And then COVID basically said, all right, put up or shut up. You know, <laughs> this you is money, here's your thing. Right. And then, but it got kind of, you know, when it opened up, it just, since the last six months, I've been to, I've had three gigs in Mexico, one in Dominican Republic, one in uh, Norway, one in Bulgaria, one in Houston, one in Orlando, um wow in the last six two, months two and two in barcelona so in six months time so i'm like wait a minute what happened i went from no trips for two years but when it's like when the market opened up it opened up and they're like okay we're doing events again we want live events our people want you know i the guy in bulgaria is begging me to come and do the program in november and i'm like just Let me do a virtual. (laughs) It's like, no, we need to do like we did last month when you were here. Everybody was so great. And that was the shock of my sensibility. And I almost canceled the first one. You know, I've been doing this for, like I said, since 91. I've never missed a speech, ever. Earthquake, snowstorm, canceled flight, doesn't matter. I have never missed a speech. Nice. And I was like ready to miss a speech because I was like getting a panic attack at 2 a.m. I had a, like a 5 a.m. wake up call because I had an early morning flight and I was just getting like panicky. And um, but I just, you know, I kind of made myself do it. And I realized, OK, I have got Instacart delivers all my groceries. Amazon delivers everything else mm-hmm. delivers all my meals. I haven't left the house in two months, even though there's no restrictions, even though COVID is over. Uh, and so I'm like, you know what? One of my greatest things was I love to go out to lunch. Uh, I, I love to write on a notepad. Right. And yes, just I go see. to lunch and do that. Or sit in a coffee shop. And I'm like, you know, I haven't. Th- so I started making myself at least once a week to go out to eat somewhere again and just get out and force myself. Okay. I'm going to go to a movie theater and because, you know, I've got HBO max and apple plus and all that stuff. And I got a beautiful, you know, theater system at home. So it's like, no, I, I just need to force myself to go out there and communicate with other people because you need that creative energy and you just need that you know the, the human even a loner like me and I'm sure a lot of you guys watching listening many of you are probably loners. but we all have to recognize that hey we also need that interaction with other people yes otherwise you're just closing inward and inward and it's just like what has been so good is going to all those countries in this last six months because again, you know, it's a different language, it's different food, it's different culture. So it piques your curiosity. And you know, the curiosity is the is the gateway drug to any breakthrough, I believe, is you've got to be curious. And exactly. your curiosity pulls you into those breakthroughs.
0: Hmm. I love that. There's so many different things that you you had on. And I had a feeling that we were going to connect. Like just talking about um, like I get people all the time, like, oh, you're so extroverted and everything else, Chris. I'm like, nope, I'm actually pretty good going on a camp. I do this once a year. I used to do it twice a year. I go on a 10-day camping sabbatical where I don't talk to anybody. Not even my well, I see my wife and my kid on the weekend, but I go out there and I just have to zone out and just get away from everybody and everything. I'm like, just to your point, like I could step on stage, be the entertainer to masses, but the same thing, like you know, showing up at a networking event and be like, okay. You know, I have to play a game with myself to go out there and be. Out, extrovert, outgoing Chris. Otherwise I'm like totally introverted. And I get people arguing with me all the time. They see me on my podcast. They say like, there's no way Chris, you're, you're full of shit. And I'm like, no, you don't know me. Like literally, I have no problem not talking to people. I love people. I can engage with people at the same time. They annoy the shit out of me. And so it's just like that, that balancing act. But I love the fact that what you said is like, you know, progressively sitting there challenging ourselves, having that discipline and that awareness to go out there and seek out and be curious of those things that potentially that we're trying to avoid because it's uncomfortable or it's awkward for us. And not in our, in our zone of genius, if you will, like, you know, uh, um, the great book, um, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. I mean, just a fascinating, just amazing. Have you ever read that book, Big no, Leap? I yeah, I mean, I've, I literally read it and listen to it at least once or twice a year. In there, he talks about, you know, operating your zone of greatness, your zone of excellence, or your zone of genius. And so when you think about operating your zone of excellence, you think, oh, fuck up, that's pretty good. You know, zone of excellence, you know, for me, corporate leadership, I've got a master's degree, blah, 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 zone of excellence. I'm doing great. know, I was a homeless kid on the streets for four years doing drugs and all sorts of bad things. Seventh grade dropout. And then I read this book and he talks about what about your zone of genius? You know, what about that? What's that upper limit problem that you're trying to, that you need to fight and get rid of so you can actually be in that zone of genius and just really do what you're meant to do. And so when I think about that and you, you kind of keyed in on it is that discipline factor. Right. You know, and to your point, the fact that when I talk to so many successful people over my life, I read dozens and dozens and dozens of autobiographies and talked, you know, to people like, what's your morning ritual? What's your key for, you know, having an amazing life? Number one, most of all, aside from having a clear vision and taking that morning for themselves, is that human connection, like having relationships. And I, for me, you know, I see my, I have a lot of friends on the internet. I talk to them all the time, but having in person like friendships and going to a bar, going to a game or going to a concert, that's all about evaporating probably the last five or six years. And so recognizing that myself, I have to sit there and say, okay, Chris, what can I do this month that gets me out of my comfort zone that can go connect with people, you know, ring somebody, an old friend or something like that. Hey, let's go have a drink. Let's go do this. When easily, like you said, like I'd rather spend time on the couch with my family, watching, watching a movie, having family night. I'm totally awesome with that. But that desire, that need for that human connection is something that really is one of the factors in our longevity and everything else. So talk to us about that. Talk to us about how let me ask you a question, different, different question. Um, you know, when I think about people that say they're doing their best they can, like, you know, over the pandemic and everything else, I've heard a lot of people like, Chris, I'm doing the best I can. And I just keep hearing this over and over again. I'm given them like probably 200 coaching calls as my way of paying it forward throughout this process, you know, helping people stay motivated. And there's a couple of, of, of patterns that I've seen people saying they're doing the best they can. I'm like, well, how do you know what your best is? So what are your thoughts on that? Like knowing Randy and knowing the the, the different things you've been through, and I've studied a little bit of your life story in the short amount of time that I had to get to know you. um, Talk to us about how you know you're doing your best and maybe give us a situation where you weren't doing your best and you learned something from that.
1: Okay, so let's get this out on the table right away. All you guys watching right now, everybody listening on the audio version, you're not doing your best that you can. (laughs)
0: 100%. Even for myself.
1: Right. That's a lie. We tell ourselves, I'm not doing the best I can. I know I'm not. And I know you're not. And I know everyone in this room right now is not. Um, Because that's the nature of human nature. So the better question to focus on is, okay, what am I doing to surround myself with people and circumstances that challenge me to grow? There you go. And if you can find two, I've probably found three people in the world. Is it right? There's a cliche, right? If you're the smartest person in the room, you need a new room, right? 100%. It for you. I'm blessed and cursed that I'm almost always the smartest person in the world. And there's not a lot of rooms I can go to where there are people smarter than me. And I'm not saying that to be an arrogant jackass and because I'm full of myself. I just I am a genius in many capacities and. um I, you know, I've been in mastermind group after mastermind group and I get, Hey, we've got these high level achievers and we have this mastermind and we think you guys have been in I'm great, it sounds good. And I join, and I'm there for four months or five months. And I realize I'm leading every discussion. I'm challenging all these people here, but nobody's challenging me. I've got to find a different swimming pool that I can dive into here. And um, fortunately I've been able to get maybe three people in the world who will challenge me because there are people that you'll bring them into your life and they may have the intellectual firepower to challenge you, but they don't have the EQ. They don't have the emotional. You know, right. The is, well, I think Chris is really on this self-destructive path, but I love him and he's my friend. I can't tell him this, you know? Even if you go to them and say, please, I need your advice. Tell me the truth. What do you think of this, you know, plan of action? I'm thinking most people think they're doing you a favor by telling you what you want to hear And you, you have to train them. You literally have to train them. So they recognize, no, I don't want you to tell me what you think I want to hear. Mm -hmm. I desperately need you to tell me the truth as you see it. I need someone that I can check things out. I need someone to say, well, you know, Randy, it looks to me like you're falling into that same negative, dysfunctional relationship pattern you had in that last Mm -hmm. relationship that blew up all over on you. You know, are you sure? Have you thought this through? Are you looking at this? Have you considered that? Um, so that's what I think we all have to do. Is we have to really, um, and you know, there they, because. There are so many brilliant people. Naval Kant is brilliant. Mark Andreessen is brilliant. Elon Musk is brilliant. Oprah Winfrey is brilliant, right? Um, But you probably don't know all those people. I don't know all those people. I can't call them up and have them for lunch. So I can follow them on Twitter. I can read their blogs or read their books or listen to their podcasts or find ways to gain some wisdom from them. And I think we all need to do that. So you kind of have to... Like I left all social media uh, a year or two ago. I just said, okay, I'm tired of all the virtual signaling and the <laughs> polarization and the bullshit and the trolling. Uh, and I left, but I went back to Twitter because I felt like Twitter is where I can really selectively choose the people I follow. And I can screen out the toxicity for the most part, which you can't do completely because i will all right. I'll follow. <laughs> and they'll get trolled by someone and they'll respond to them. And then I could get... And those those computer algorithms, they know exactly what floats your boat. They know exactly what to put in your feed to get you to go down the rabbit hole, right? But I'm really mega conscious of that. So I went back on Twitter and I have people like the names I mentioned. I can follow them and I think... And I think we all can do that and we can learn from those books and those podcasts. Um, If you take somebody like Tim Ferriss, he runs an amazing podcast and does some of the most fascinating, critical thinkers in the world. And and it's usually not the big name people that are the breakthrough ones. You know, it's the people you probably never heard of, but they're a chess protege or they're a uh, elite surfer or they're some profession that you wouldn't normally think of or hear about in mainstream. Right. Right. so that's part of it. But then you really have to nurture your, you know, Jim Rohn used to say, hey, your income is going to be the average income of the five people you spend the most time with. Yep, I've adapted that. I believe that your prosperity, every area of your life is going to be the average of the five people you spend the most time.
0: with. 100 percent.
1: Yeah. If you're married, show me the five couples you guys are hanging with and I'll tell you how happy your marriage is. Mm -hmm. You know, show me the five people you hang with and I'll tell you how healthy you are. Show me the five people you hang with and I'll tell you what kind of mental health you have, what kind of harmony and peace and, you know, in in all those areas of prosperity. So uh, for me, what I'm doing is I'm really judiciously seeking out people that will challenge me, that will call me on my shit, that will tell me the truth with love. And, you know, and and don't confuse anybody listening. Please don't confuse just because you can find someone who will tell you everything you're doing wrong. That's not what we're looking for. Right. If they're doing that because they're petty and they're jealous and they're (laughs) sabotage your stuff, that isn't helping you. Right. It's somebody who loves you enough to tell you the truth for your highest good. And so I'm a maniac about that. Always looking for. What is that next relationship that I can find of somebody who's qualified and willing to do that with me and wants me to do that with them?
0: There's a reason why we're talking, Randy. There's a reason why we're talking. There's a reason why I'm called the no excuses coach. Literally, like I told you before. I was a suit and tie speaker for many years i was very successful at it and then i just like i would come off stage at these multi-speaker events and i would just like "Fuck! i just don't feel like I'm, I'm me i'm being mean and we're all saying the same thing we're all doing the little triangle hand pose and everything sorry my monitor's coming out and i was just like one day so i decided to join this mastermind this rock star mastermind thing And like you said, you know, you get in the room with people who are brighter and smarter than you. And we started going out around around the room and they were like, people are talking about their issues and what they were seeking information on. I said, well, I'm the suit and type speaker. I said, but really I'm a rocker. I'm a biker. I said, I'm a, I'm no bullshit kind of guy. I say things. I talk. I said, basically people like see me as a cross between George Carlin and Tony Robbins and an ACDC concert. That's I've had people like tell me like that, like that's who you are. And so I was sitting there telling him, like, I'm struggling with this because I want to go out there and do this, like, no excuses, kick ass kind of thing and just be who I am. No suit and tie, just exactly how I am right now. And like, I had probably about 80% of the room saying, yeah, go for it. And I had 20% of the room saying no. And the 20% of the room that was saying, no, was like, it's not safe. People won't accept you. You're going to be rough, rubbing the edges and everything else. And I had the other 80% sitting there saying, yes, Chris, we need this. We need somebody to go out there and shake up this environment. So I took the plunge and I was like, okay, I'm going to ditch the suit and tie thing. And I came up with a kick-ass guide to life and all this other stuff. Then I met the the amazing Les Brown. And so I went to, I invested and I went to one of his speaker trainings here in Southern California in Los Angeles. And I showed up there. My branding was a little bit different. I had the bandana on and I wear a bandana, not for for looks or anything else, but I hate sweating. And so I told myself, I said, what do I want to wear on stage where I would be actually comfortable and not overheating in a fucking suit and going like this every two seconds, you know, thinking about sweat dripping." And I'm like, I'd wear my bandana because I always wear a bandana. When I had hair, I wore a bandana or I wear a hat on backwards. I'm like, I just want to be me. I just want to be comfortable. I just feel good in my own skin. And so I went to the I went to the event like that, and everybody's you know sitting there. And I'm not a starstruck person. I have met Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses. I met a lot of celebrities and rock stars, and I don't say that arrogant. I just run into people. I just have people like, oh, Chris, you should meet this person. And so I met Les Brown. I was like, oh my god, dude, this is amazing. And the first night. He has us up on on stage there at the Sheridan Gateway Hotel, and we're all going to do 20 minutes. And he wants to see what type of speakers we are, what kind of help we need. Da 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 da. So all the speakers are getting up there and they're kissing his ass and they're they're trying their real best to you know like impress him and everything. And I just get up there and I'm like, hey, less, My name is Christopher Roush, and I go into my just my just standard talk, just like I always talk. And he spent 45 minutes on me. He's like, well, Chris, do you swear when you talk? Because I told my mentor at Risk Kids, you know, like I was a kid on the street, so I go back and I volunteered organizations where I could help kids who are on the street. And he goes, do you swear with those kids? And I said, yeah, Liz, I do. Actually, I talked to them how they talk to each other. I said, I'm not going to hide it. I know that they're doing that. I mean, I'm going to speak their language. I'm not speaking it to try and impress them. I just, that's who I am. I don't swear a lot, but I swear occasionally. And so everybody in the room was like, like, why is he picking on this? You know, it wasn't really picking on me. He was just more curious. And so part of the deal was at the end of the three days that he takes you up to a suite and he interviews you on camera. And it's actually videos on my YouTube channel. And so, but before he did that, there was a couple other things. Um, he walks in the room the day of the the filming and he goes, he goes, uh he goes, Hey, Mr. Kickass, can I talk to you for a second? And that's what he started calling me Mr. Kickass. I'm like, okay. So we walk out of the, the hotel and he's like, Christopher, you're an amazing speaker. He goes, I would put you on stages. You could totally speak. He goes, but I can't do this. He goes, I don't wear the suit and tie. He goes, I wear just sweatpants all around the house. And God, as my witness, he can, I can say this now because he 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 said it publicly since then on on where he's quotable. He goes, I don't, he goes, I don't I color my hair with mascara. He goes, my my hair can't even handle, you know, color dye. So I I use mascara. I, I have to do, I have to put this on every day. But you know, I could put you on stages. And I remember this. And I remember I was like, oh my God, this is the most pivotal point in my life where this guy's cassette tapes that I used to listen to when I was homeless, him and Tony Robbins is standing in front of me, telling me that he could put me on his stage. What do I do? And I said, you know what, Les, I love you to death, brother. I said, but I gotta be me. And I stuck to that. And there was been po- points in my life. It was back in 2014 or something like that. I've got pictures. Well, here's the other part of the story. So I appreciated him and everything else. And I was like, did I just fuck myself over or whatever? And so then um, that was, I think that was the second day. I'm sorry. And then the third day, you know, people were like talking to me. My brother was there. He was the world champion. He was in the world championship of public speaking, uh, Martin Presse. He was like number 10 or something like that. He's like, Chris, you know, Les is paying attention to you. You know, why don't you just put the suit and tie back on? I'm like, I said, dude, who's everybody talking about right now? I said, who's everybody going to go home and talk about the guy in the bandana and the, the guy that people are like, who's this guy who's different? He's different. And so Les walks into the, to the speaking room on the final day and he goes, Hey, mister Kickass, you got one of those kerchiefs for me. And I'm like, Kerchie, what? And he goes, the bandana fool. I'm like, oh yeah. And I always carry three bandanas around in my pocket. And I kind of like declare people kickass, you know, on the spot. I'm like, okay, you're." And I teach him how to fold it. And we put it on, we take a picture. <laughs> and I said, which one do you want? Les, you want the red one, the blue one, or the white one? I can't remember what color it was. He goes, give me the blue one, and I go. I hand it to him. He goes, no fool. He goes, put it on me, and everybody in the whole place—it was probably about twenty-five speakers in the room—you could hear their. Like he went from picking on me, like what do you got? What are you doing? I don't get what you're doing, to doing this. So I've got pictures that I I share proudly of putting the band down and we're doing like little gang signs and everything. He's playing. He's having a blast, and I share that because you know ultimately. For me becoming the no excuses coach and and having the ability and the the confidence to be able to be like you said be honest with somebody has shifted my whole entire life you know from going to pretending to be somebody the whole imposter syndrome thing to ultimately just being me you know i I tell my c-suite friends and the people that i coach in c-suite and executive management that i'm your professional best friend i'm the guy that you can call that's going to be loving like you said that's going to be loving it's going to be able to sit there and say have you thought about it this way Have you thought about this way and you know kind of grinding that whole iron sharpens iron thing my question for you based on all that and what we're having this conversation about is that it's one thing to tell somebody the truth like you know when people ask me a question like chris what do you think and i'm like on a scale of one to ten and i always ask them on a scale of one to ten how bad do you want the truth like the real truth you want a ten you want a seven what kind of and it helps me kind of gauge a couple of different couple of different things but when they say a ten and i sit there and offer them the honest feedback the receptivity factor on them taking that that and not taking it personal, but taking it observationally is something that I see cha- people challenged with. So in your particular situation, when somebody gives you the, that honest feedback, what is your process for, for taking that in for yourself and not taking it personally and being able to look at it observationally and, and be able to look at it, how you can apply it? Because I think people listening here tonight may have that challenge that they're 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 open to getting information, but when it stings or it hurts, that's something they push away. What are your thoughts on that?
1: So I told you, I've done all these speeches. I'm in the Speaker Hall of Fame. Uh, I worked with your maybe your friend, Mamie Brown's little baby boy, Leslie Calvin Brown. I helped him craft his speeches, his keynotes um, to structure. Because, you know, Les is like a lot of speakers who had done like seminar companies and stuff. You know, when he came to me, he was doing eight 18 different speeches, you know, and they all, but I'm like, Les, these are all the same speech. Okay. You're saying this is this one, but they're all, and my mom was in the other room and she had to clap her hand and mm-hmm. me and my brother, Wesley and Leslie, Brown, maybe Brown's little baby. I'm like, come on, stop all the people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you. If you ask Wes, you will say, Randy Gage and I get on each other's last nerve. Nice. But when he wants the truth, he knows he's going to call me, right? Um, you have to, and even by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to let me beat you up a little. Stop this bullshit of asking people. Well, on a scale of one to ten, what do you want? No, you're respect them enough to just give them number ten, okay? And then the people who don't want it okay, they will filter themselves from your life. And that's what you need to happen. That's what they need to happen, right? We all have to find the people who will love us enough to tell us the truth. Yep. Um, and so um, I don't have any issue at all with that. You know, with, okay, here's a perfect example. So good dear friend of mine, Alan Weiss, we used to lead a mastermind group together. So Alan is the. Why guy. does that
0: name sound familiar, Alan Weiss? Well, written, speaker, speaker guy, right? Wrote yeah, a book about power, well, uh, public he's, speaking.
1: More of an author. he's written, I think, seventy books. One is called the Guide to Cons- the Consultants Guide or whatever, which is the number one selling book of consulting of all time. It's like been out for forty years. Uh, I know, have something behind really
0: me with Alan Weiss on it. I know I do.
1: All right, because he's really you know prolific worker yeah. and a brilliant guy, really brilliant guy. And so I sent him um, my last book, Radical Rebirth, because he's one of the people I respect to say, hey, can I send you a galley proof, and um, you know give me any feedback you have, and then if you're up to it, give me a quote for the cover. And so he, I sent him the book, and uh, he wrote back, and he said. Uh, I cannot endorse this book. You are attacking religion so uh, critically and so impartially. Un- you know, the opposite of impartial, what biased or whatever. You know, you have an ax to grind and you whatever. And, you know, I wrote him back and I said, thank you so much for telling me, you know, because no one else would do that, right? Mm-hmm. Anyone else would just give you some book. You know what? I, I'm I'm, kind of in a big project right now, and I don't really have time to finish reading the book, so I'm not going to be able to give you a quote. So I wrote him back, and I said, thank you so much for telling me the truth. Um, and I was really happy because I had sent him the draft that, which had come on the chapter on religion. That's the book behind me. If you can see it on the wall, there, radical report. That's
0: I'm going to have to book. check it out.
1: Um, so it's really the culmination of my work. I'm so proud of that book. That book is how to recreate yourself, recreate your life. And I'm immensely proud of it. It's the greatest work I've ever done in my life. And, um, but For the chapter on religion, I had just taken, cut and pasted the blog I had written a few years earlier. And that's the one I knew I really needed to rework on because I was very reactionary. I was very, uh, you know, my whole focus of how do you become prosperous is you've got to be a critical thinker. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people who are brainwashed by religion, right? I've studied and so I took a two-year sabbatical and I studied all the world's major organized religions. Right. Wow. And I find that the true message of them is beautiful. But I feel like it's been hijacked by the fundamentalists. So these you have the Islamics who say we should throw homosexuals off of rooftops, and <laughs> you have Christians who are telling people they're gonna rot and burn in hell with gnashing of teeth, and you know, on and on, and we can go to all of the you know extremists in each one and i feel like they've hijacked the message and but that isn't what i wanted to write in the book but i i was trying to give alan enough lead time or runway so i had sent him the draft that just had the uh original blog i'd written like three years earlier and my thinking had re, you know refined a great deal um so it would that never would have made it to the book but you know, a draft is a draft. And that was what I was telling everybody. Hey, it's the first draft. Draft, Please give me your feedback because I do want to mold it. And I've got, a, you know, a 90 to 120 day time window before I need to turn it into the publisher. And so I'm looking for real feedback. Um, so I was delighted that Alan did that because he's a very religious guy. He's uh, he was Jewish, but he converted to Catholicism, I believe, with his when he married wow. his wife. So religion is really important to him. So this was a real third rail, hot button for him. And he was yeah. like, I will never endorse the book. And um, I actually, you know, I thanked him graciously in the acknowledgement and told the story in there, And you know, because, you know, I want, that's, that's the kind of feedback you want. And in that case, that chapter wouldn't have made it to publication. But what if it would have? What if I would have been the person who was like, wanted just people to tell me the greatest things about my book and tell me how amazing it is. And that had gotten through. It would not have served me. It wouldn't have served my readers. It wouldn't have served Alan or the people who gave me. Like Bob Berg is one of the people. You mentioned Bob's going to be on this show next week. You yep. guys got to watch Bob. He's amazing. And um, it's like when I sent him my... Risky is the New Safe Book. That was my first book that really New York Times bestseller, Wall Street Journal bestseller, Publishers Weekly, USA Today, number one money book, translated like 18 languages. It really took off. And Bob right. was one of the you know, people who read the galley, and he told me, this is your magnus opus. This is your, and I said, God, I sure hope not, because (laughs) what am I going to do for the next book, right? The next book has to be better than this one. And the next book was Mad Genius. And, again, another New York Times bestseller just crushed it. And and I felt that's the best book I could write at this point in my life. And now, Radical Rebirth, I read that and I say, this is a book, not that other shit that I wrote before here, you know. uh, You know, I always... That's how. That's where we've got to get to. Everyone who's watching or listening right now, we all have to get there. You have to get to the point where you're amazed at how stupid you were three months ago. Amen. Just amazed at how dumb you were, how ignorant you were. Otherwise, what are we doing here? If you can't, you know, if, if you're not trying to become the highest possible version of yourself you're just trespassing. Come on, let's, Mm -hmm. let's live a real life. Let's do something with meaning.
0: I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And that's so important. I mean, the, the, the fact that, you know, we we often want the honest truth, but then again, when when it's when we're faced with it, it's like, oh, and that's why so many people go to their short term gratifications. They sit there and say, okay, I'm just gonna ignore that elephant in the room, and I'm gonna go off to buy stuff or watch stuff or bet on stuff or sex stuff, whatever it is, whatever it is, I can do to ignore the reality of my situation. And I love what you said, Randy, is the fact that it's incumbent upon us to sit there and evaluate, what's my bigger why? What's my bigger mission? What's my vision in this world for my legacy? Why am I here? What purpose am I serving? And what is it that I'm going to leave when I'm gone, when my when my material self is gone? Then that's something that has lit me up for so many years. And I was going through and I was successful on paper for so many years. But it was ultimately when I went to a funeral back in 2000, 2008. And I sat there super successful on paper, happy, partying, beautiful girlfriend, you know, houses and all this other stuff. And I sat there in the back of the church and I was watching people that I worked with go up there and eulogize this coworker of mine. And I knew her and I didn't know her super well, but I knew her and I, she was a beautiful person. That's why I was there, um, paying my respects. And I sat there and I thought, honestly, Randy, I was like, if I died tomorrow, who would show up and what would they say? And this has been the litmus test for my life every single day for most of my life. I mean, not, I'm not perfect every single day, that's for sure. But I sat there and I thought, if I died tomorrow, who would show up and what would they say? And I thought 10 or 15 people on my buddies would show up and they would bring Miller Genuine Draft and Jack Daniels and Motley Crue and Bon Jovi records. And they would talk about all the stupid fun shit Chris has done in his life. Oh, remember that time he passed out? Remember that time he chased that girl? Remember, he, remember the time he crashed? Remember all the different stuff? Oh yeah, by the way, he was homeless at the age of 13 and he got his master's degree ultimately and he he, he changed people's lives. And I sat there and I thought about it, Randy, and I was driving home and it bugged me and it bugged me. And so many times we just put that off to the side and like, oh yeah, I'll deal with that some other day. I'm not going to die. I'm young. I was in my early thirties. It was, yeah, I was, I was in my thirties. I don't know. I'm bad at math and time is going by like that, as we all know. And I got home and God is my witness. I took my, cause I'm a, I'm a big writer and I took it out. And I was like, fuck it. I just had this inspiration, this little whisper in me that said, write your eulogy, Chris. And it was freaky. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And that's when I was really starting to try to trust my intuition and, and find that whisper. And I wasn't religious, I wasn't really spiritual, but I was trying to ebb into that place. I was reading books about how, how to find inner peace and, and inner freedom because I used to drink a lot and party a lot. And so I wrote, sat there, and I'm like, I'm just gonna free write. I'm not gonna think about anything. And I thought about okay, what were some adjectives that I want to be remembered by? And so I wrote it all out and I went back and I think I got myself a, a Coke or something like that. I came back into my office and I was like all right. And I said, I'm just going to read it out loud. Like I was at a, at a church or something like that. I'm like, Christopher Roush, blah, 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 blah. But the, the, the thing that got to me was when I got to the middle of it, I said, Christopher Roush will fought for what was right. And what was fair. He will have risked fortunes that mattered. And he will left the earth a better place for who he was and what he did. And as, as I kept reading a couple more things out of that, I had tears coming down to my eyes. Like literally honest guy, I've got choked up. I was like, I almost stopped reading. I was like, nobody was around. I'm like, and I remember telling myself like, Chris, go ahead and feel that emotion. Cause I've always been strong and I've never told people my emotions. I didn't tell people I was homeless for a long time. And from that point forward, honestly, that lit me up so much, Randy. It was like, okay, that's my benchmark every single day when I wake up is I've got a vision every day that I'm going to fight for what's right and what's fair. And I'm going to risk for what's the matter. And I'm going to make the world a better place. And especially when we adopted my son from birth, um, six years ago, it'll be six at the end of November. I'm 53. So we started out a little bit late. Um, you know, so for that me, that gives me that grind to sit there and say, okay, Randy, I want you to give me the honest truth because every single day and every single way, I want to be that best version of myself because the thing that if you watch my, well, you haven't seen my social media, 99% of my social media says no regrets. And so I think about that every single day, like what regret would I have today? If I, if, if today was my day, what would regret? I, okay. I haven't served anybody today. Okay. How can I serve somebody today? How can I make the world a better place today? Um, have I seen my son? Have I played intently with my son? If I died today, would he know absolutely how much I love him? So I tell him every day, it's like, dad, I know you love me. And I'm like, you don't understand son. I said, you are the biggest blessing in my life. And I just find different ways to tell him I love him. So, because oftentimes we take for granted. So for me, that's been my litmus test. So for you, and thinking about this as we wrap up our conversation, because we've already been talking for 48 minutes and I appreciate you being here. I love this conversation. What is it for you? Like what's your bigger vision in the scope of things and what you want to accomplish in the world? You're, you're a multiple bestselling author. You've written dozens of books. You're going to write more. What is it for you that you want for your legacy to be written down in stone that, that the reason for your being here on on the, on planet earth?
1: I'm trying to take the timeless principles of prosperity that Charles and Myrtle Fillmore talked about when they founded the Unity Church, that Ernest Holmes talked about when he wrote The Science of Mind, um, stuff from Napoleon Hill, uh, As a Man Thinketh, William James, trying to take those timeless principles that are in work like that and share with people how they apply them in today's world where Elon Musk is trolling people and his 80 million Twitter followers with a snarky tweet about this and Gary Kasparov is replying and they're fighting as they were today, literally today. And you've got Donald Trump sending out his you know, racist thing about Mitch McConnell's wife and you've got <laughs> stupid reality TV shows and you've got just both sides of the political spectrum just... Whack, bad shit, crazy. Um, it's like the whole culture, you know. It's like I love medical shows. I love where like there's a mystery and what's wrong with this patient. How can we? So, like, I watch a show like Chicago Med because, you know, I, I've been hooked with since there was a show way back in the day called The ER. Yep. And then you had like House where it was always a mysterious disease. And I try and watch it now. And I'm like, it isn't a medical. Mystery show anymore? It's a soap opera. Yeah, totally it's a soap opera. They yep. have to. They so they still do the. The patient comes in and they have the symptoms and they they were trying to find a cure. But then we also have a nuclear terrorist attack at the same time that the doctor solves by himself. And then the nurse whose mother is homeless and the uh, attending guy whose father is an alcoholic and this one whose mother is sleeping with that one. And this guy who has a heroin addiction, we got to weave in all this soap (laughs) opera plot lines. And I'm like, I can't do it. So I'm trying to show people, here's how you keep your sanity in this stuff. Here's how you live with prosperity consciousness. Here's how you manifest a healthy, happy, prosperous life and become the highest possible version of yourself. And so I find that, you know, my work is like, and I've done this for years, you know, um, for people who don't know me, I was in jail at 15 years old for armed robbery and burglary. I was a teenage alcoholic, teenage drug addict. So whenever I get a chance, I speak to at risk youth. you know, that's one of the ways I give back. So I'll speak to kids in jail, you know, and you think you've got a tough audience. Wait, till you, (laughs) you talk to kids in jail? I haven't done that yet. Oh man. They're like, we got a speaker today. We let you out of your cell, but let me, if you take one move, if you so much as look cross-eyed, we'll throw your ass back in this cell. You better pay attention. His name is Mr. Gage. He's here to show you how to fix your life. Welcome Mr. Gage. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> we got a bunch of kids, arms locked, their legs uh-huh. crossed, looking at me like, who the fuck is this old guy? Right. Um, and then they hear my story and they're like, wait a minute, he has been where I am right now. Mm-hmm. He is qualified to talk to me, right? Yep. So Connection. I'm really trying to zero in on that demographic. The We've got to, because I'm an entrepreneur, right? I'm a, you know, I'm one of these guys. I was, and I was thrown out of high school in eighth grade because of that, being in jail and all stuff. And I became very wealthy. I became a very successful entrepreneur. And so I'm trying to share with at-risk teens and young adults that the principles of free enterprise, the principles of prosperity, because we have so much entitlement mentality that's pervasive in our culture. And that's what's keeping people broke. That's what's keeping them Miserable, that's what's keeping them unhealthy, right? You know, there's a reason why nacho cheese flavored tortilla chips taste better than a cucumber. Because <laughs> they've been genetically engineered to taste better and get you addicted to them and feed the sugar and the yeast in your intestinal tract and create, a, you know, a physical craving to eat more of them so you keep buying them like you keep buying the sugary cereals and you keep buying the the beer and the wine and the drugs and you know we're all victims of people who want to you know manipulate us for their own ends and so we have to um, so I'm just kind of being the the Heretic in the wilderness shouting, you know, tilting windmills saying, no, you've got to fight. back. you've got to control your own thoughts. You know, you, you have to become the thinker of the thought. You can't let people tell you what to think. You can't let the algorithms on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok program you into behavior. You have to take charge of your own life. So if, if when whoever does my eulogy, maybe that'll be you, uh, if they can just say that, that's what he tried to do when he was alive, then I know at least I wasn't trespassing on the planet.
0: Randy Gage, ladies and gentlemen. Dude, this has been an amazing conversation. We've been going for uh 54 minutes. I appreciate your time and energy here. And I want to have you back on the show. I, I love to, I love conversations like this. There's so many different rabbit holes that I'd stop myself from going down as you were talking. So thank you, brother, for being here. Where can people get a hold of you and continue the conversation? Um, we've got a few sites up here. I know we've got uh randygage.com.
1: Yeah, that's my that's Starfleet Command site. You'll find everything from me there. I have a blog, I have a podcast. Um, and the, I'm off social media, except Twitter. So I'm on Twitter, Randy underscore gauge on Twitter. Um, that's where I really interact with people and then otherwise the website.
0: Awesome. Awesome, brother. It's been a phenomenal conversation and I'm going to place you backstage. I'm going to end out the show. Don't go anywhere. Uh, so I just want to wrap up with you, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Randy Appreciate your brother. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Raw and Unscripted Show. I hope you found value in it. and I trust and I know that you found value out of it because that was a thought-provoking conversation right there. There's so many different things that Randy jumped off and talked about the fact that we have to be ownerships, owners of our own mind and really have that critical thinking aspect that so oftentimes we take for granted and we let the larger majority decide for us or we let uh, the desire to stay in our comfort zone decide for us. But you got to ask yourself every single day, and I think we we wrapped it up in in a great summarization, is the fact of what is your best? What is your vision? What is your quest here? What is it that you're designed to be here to do through your natural abilities, your capabilities that you're passionate about that ultimately you want to be remembered for? And then each and every day when you wake up, start with gratitude. You guys have heard me talk about this. If you're new to the show, here's some tips for you as well. I wake up every single day before my eyes open. I'm grateful. What am I grateful for? Some of the things are always the same. I'm grateful my son's sleeping in the room next to me. I'm grateful for a roof over my head. I'm grateful for my beautiful wife, blah, blah, blah. And then I say what other things I'm grateful for. Because so oftentimes we take for granted the other thing. I'm grateful I have electricity. I have friends in Florida right now don't have electricity from, from the hurricane. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for the, the the thread count on my sheets, whatever it might be. Start your day with gratitude, and then the next thing I want you to do is start your day with the intentions. So before your eyes open, see what you're grateful for, and then what's your intention for the day? My intention every single day, first and foremost, is to use my words and my actions to make this world a better place. Every single day I say that my intention is to be present and playful with my son. My intention is to my intention, my intention. And then as I'm going through my day, if I'm not feeling right, you know, if I'm feeling off kilter, I've told you guys before, sometimes I struggle with depression. Sometimes I struggle with uh, anxiety. Those are just moments and periods in my life that are causing me to reflect and asking myself, am I doing my best? Am I living my highest standard for my values that I've set for myself? And oh, by the way, what intention did I set for myself today? what couple of intentions did I set my for myself today? Have I got off track? What can I do right now in this moment that can get me back on track for that vision of what I said before, that I'm going to fight for what's right and what's fair and risk for which that matter. When you correct yourself and when you have that discipline, like we talked about in the show as well, when you guys have that, it's incredible. Like literally moment to moment, how your physiology, how your mindset and how your confidence can shift to, to realize that you can tackle anything in your life. Literally, I've, I've tackled everything in my life, from 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 being thought I was stupid, from being bullied in school, from not being loved, and all these different things, from being abandoned. And I've tackled every single thing. I went back to school and I spent 12 years in school and got my master's degree. I was a seventh grade dropout. I did horrible in school. I was bullied. I was, but I went back and I said, let's just one step at a time, one step at a time. Let's just do this. Let's just keep doing this because I had that vision in my head that I was not going to settle for less than what I deserve. And sometimes when we settle for less than we deserve, we get less than we actually even settle for. So that's my parting words for you guys. Be sure to check out next week's episode. Like we said, Bob Berg is going to be here on the show. The go-giver, I've got some amazing questions planned for him as well. Go connect with Randy, go Check out his books. Check out his uh, Prosperity TV on YouTube. And uh, please let us know in the comments what it is that you took away from this conversation tonight. And let us know if you want Randy back on the show. Let's get a let's get a little poll going together, and we'll we'll invite him back on here and have some deeper conversations. So, with that, I love you guys. I'm Christopher Roush, your No Excuses Coach, here with the Ron scripted Show. If you're watching this on VideoCast across Facebook or YouTube or LinkedIn, check us out. Take us on podcast. All you got to do is just go either to my site, NoExcusesCoach.com. You can go to the media page. You can see where you can subscribe to the podcast on spotify and itunes and iheart and all those different places so take us with you be sure to share it with a friend let us know and again like i said at the top of the show help heal humanity let's do it ladies and gentlemen i love you guys this fits for life kick ass name